Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud-Based Mayhem. Recording this in Utah, doing some towing here with Cody, my tank, who I was just down in Texas with, doing a little bit of acro and SIV stuff. And two days after we got down to Texas, I believe, I think that was June 20th or so, so we were just kind of getting into it. I got an email from Jonathan Deach, who has sent me a bunch of great people to talk to on the Mayhem over the years. And he had sent me the article about Owen Morse, who had just broken that day on the 20th, the out and back record, world record, out in the Owens. Uh, That record had been down in Chile for quite a while. I don't remember who to. He says it in the show here. But 222 miles on almost the longest day of the year in the Owens. And June 20th, it would have been pretty spicy. I'm sure super tall actually looked at the track log of that. He's got it up on Avery and stuff, but awesome flight from Waltz Point. So up the Sierras, cross over the Whites, out off the end of the Whites, and made it all the way home. And so very, very cool flight. And this record was something Owen had been chasing for six years. So we hear about his history and that chase and a bunch of cool stuff in, in regards to hang gliding, of course. But I also, when I was getting ready for the talk with Owen realized that he is one of the most or maybe the uh, most famous jugglers on earth Uh, he and his partner have been doing this stuff for 32 years they've been working together Uh, they have performed for the Queen and Jay Leno and Johnny Carson they've been on This America's or Who's Got Talent uh, show in the States I think they've been on that twice these guys throw knives and burning stuff and chainsaws, and they are a riot. It's a comedy show. It is awesome. Got to go to the show notes and check out all the links that we've put up there and all the videos they have. And of course, right now with COVID, they're not traveling around the world as they usually do performing, so they're doing it all from their studio in California. And so I, I guess that's probably where he spends most of his time because to do what these guys are doing is just, man, it takes Malcolm Gladwell's thing totally out. They're way over 10,000 hours. It is remarkable what these guys do. Super fun. It was a riot. My daughter was just cracking up at these guys. So we talk a lot about juggling. And he not only has a couple world records now in hang gliding, but he's got at least four more in joggling. I think that's what it's called. I didn't know that was a thing, but that's running while juggling. And he has, like I said, four world records. But just to put this in perspective, he was having a talk with Usain Bolt. And he's like, hey, man, so, uh, yeah, I've got I've got a record kind of like yours. And Usain's like, yeah, on, what are you talking about? And he said, well, yeah, I, I ran the 100 meters in 11, I think it's 11.2 seconds while juggling three balls. And he's done the 100 meters in just done like just over 13 seconds. This is all on the show, but I'm still just really excited about it while juggling five balls. So incredible, uh, insane talent and a lot of fun. And really, you got to go to the show notes and watch some of these videos. This guy is just super fun. And his and his partner, they're obviously having a really good time. Met in college, and they've been doing this their whole life. So what a cool way to make a living. And you get to go hang gliding all the time. So enjoy this talk. I had a blast with this. And they go and did as well. I think you're going to enjoy it. Cheers.
Owen, great to have you on the show. I was down in Texas. We had just gotten there a couple days before you absolutely sent it. I saw the news pop up in my my Ushba and then cross-country feed, 222 miles out and back in the Owens. A new out and back world record. Congratulations. That just looked fat. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Sierras. Anything that happens in the Sierras is always just like, oh, yes. Oh, man. Well, you are so kind. Let me just start by saying thank you for having me on your show. I am a huge fan, and I love uh, I love, what, I love what you're doing with Cloud-Based Mayhem. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm still pinching myself uh, about bet. that flight. Uh, and it, it was a dream come true and, to date, my, my best flight for sure. Yeah, and it, I mean, I, I read the article. There's, there were several about it. it. It sounds like this is something you've been chasing for a while. Yeah, for six years, you know, I saw, um, I don't know, it would have been close to 15 years ago, I think, uh, George Stebbins uh, set the out and back world record uh, uh, in the Owens, 100 miles out and back. And, and that sort of captured my imagination and just went, my goodness, uh, that is so, so cool. And then after that, um, Tom Weissenberger uh, beat that record down in Chile and... Uh, you know, I just I always thought it should be done in a thermal flying site and and California and and well, in a valley called the Owens Valley seemed <laughs> seemed appropriate too. So uh, yeah, I, I've been working on it for six years and uh, and finally have just learned the place enough, studied the weather enough, had the right equipment, the right mindset, and the right support team behind me and. Uh, Boy, it uh, it happened. For those people who are listening who aren't familiar with the Owens, I mean, it's got that reputation, like some places do. But describe flying there to to folks who haven't flown in the Owens. Well, it's it's just you know the lore of the Owens Valley have, has been around since you know the early seventies. It's it's a magical place. I think of it sort of being as like the mavericks of, of hang gliding locations, just big air and you just need to respect it. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's, it can be, it can be challenging and a little terrifying, uh, and the conditions can be so strong, but, uh, my goodness, there's so much untapped potential there. Um, and it's a place that, you know, and, Glider pilots don't seem to visit much anymore. It's it's um, yeah. It seems to have sort of dropped off the map for whatever reason. Uh, but goodness, it's it's a fabulous place to fly. Well, it's great that pilots like yourselves and maybe some others are are maybe getting back into it. There, you know, I was down in Texas with Larry Tudor, which was incredibly special for me to hang out with him and, and hear all of his stories and you know, that it used to be, like you said, if you pull up to waltz on a given day and it was packed. Right. Yeah. You, there used to be, I mean, you, you watch the old footage of the place, you know, hundreds of pilots showing up on a weekend, not even for comps, just, Hey, we're, we're flying, flying the Owens. And, and that was it. Um, and yeah, certainly Larry Tudor, you know, put the place on the map, especially using waltz, um, on the Sierra side. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
I'm thinking it's going to have a resurgence. I certainly, and I start seeing paraglider flights happening from there and other launches, nine mile uh, road. And, and you think, okay, this, this could be a renaissance of, of the place. And I, I would love to see that happen. Yeah. I mean, for, for us on, on our side of things, we went out and did that bivy across the Sierras up to the Oregon border in, in 2012. And just before that, I believe it was right around in that zone in 2011, 2012, Dave Turner started flying in the Sierras and we were hearing all these stories about him flying there in the summer. And that just that yeah. hadn't been done in like a decade. <laughs> you know, it, exactly. it had been a long That's time good. since that right. was going down. And so it's, it's great to see that Owens is back on the map. I mean, we used to have world championships there and big comps. And- exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that can happen again. I, I, you know, when you talk about comps, I, I'm a mountain pilot. I, I gravitate towards, you know, my home site is Crestline, California, and, you know, I'm just flying up and down the mountain ranges all, all the time. And that sort of flying makes sense to me. I've done a couple comps, you know, big spring and out in Florida and the flat, honestly, the flatlands confuse me. I, you know, I fly the ground and the wind and I, you know, people go, no, you gotta fly the clouds. I go, what? All right, I, I, I guess. So I've got a lot to learn, but man, uh, I think there's some interest in, in doing foot launch mountain flying comps again. Uh, in recent years, they've uh, done some in Dinosaur, and they just had the Canadian Nationals. Uh, I did that last year in, in uh, Kamloops, and um, you know that's that's my type of flying. I I just really love that. How did you get into all this absurdity and give us a time frame? Yeah, I had my first tandem flight in 1990, um, and it wasn't until 93 until I got my first hang glider. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually started off relatively slowly and uh, played, had different interests. Um, and uh, in 98, I tore my ACL um, playing basketball. And so that kind of sidelined and I thought, you know what, this basketball stuff is, is just too dangerous contact sport. And I, I played pretty hard. And, uh, so I just ended up focusing my attention more on hang gliding and that's, I, and I got my hang four in 98 and just started doing cross country flying in 2000 and just, yeah, it just really captured me. I, I just really loved it. And, uh, you know, just mostly spent my time flying between Elsinore, um, a little bit of Torrey Pines and Crestline and, and Silmar up in L.A. Um, so local Southern California flying. Um, but, yeah, then turned my attention to more XC related tasks. So every time I would fly cross, uh, uh, Crestline, I'd try to go just go somewhere and uh, mostly out and back. And I just, I find those so civilized to be able to take off, fly for four or five hours, go as far as you can away. And the chess game of how far out can I go Mm. and still make it back just really appealed to me. So every time I fly, that's my goal. And there's some really good big air to the east of Crestline that nobody really taps into. So you know, when, when people are getting 6,000, 7,000 feet of crest lane, well, you're getting 11, 12, 14,000 over 
San Gregonio or San Jacinto. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that's kind of been my training ground. And uh, I think that's prepared me a bit for the Owens Valley, too, because summer summer days can be pretty strong uh, at Crestline. So, yeah, I mean, when you say that Marshall, Elsinore is kind of rowdy, is, is that more in the kind of spring? Because in the summer, it gets quite stable. Is that when you move to the other side and start flying out, out, out into the Mojave and stuff and flying in the desert? Yeah, spring and fall are days where you can get up high enough to make the jump over the back. Um, summer gets, yeah, you get high pressure and you get an inversion layer. But you can bust through that if you head east. And that's sort of um, something I've learned over the years that that uh, the, the more you head east, the higher the mountains are and and you can you can crack through the inversion layer and 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 bust out some good miles. Hmm. You said I'm I'm jumping around here a little bit, but you said on the day that you had the record from Waltz and you did the out and back, you kind of had the right everything aligned, but you also said you had the right mindset. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, so I I I've been looking for the right day and you're looking for a day that's light variable at all elevations or as many as you can. And I was fortunate. I I look at the solstice as being my marker, the summer solstice, you know, obviously you're looking for the longest day. And so 20 days before and after the solstice is where I'm really focusing on, on the right day and what's, what's going to be likely to give me the opportunity to, to set the out and back. And I, I, I'm friends with Rob McKenzie and he and I have talked about this extensively and, and we, we figure there's six days a year where, where it actually is possible to do it. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a very aggressive pilot. I'm actually relatively conservative. I think my strength is in endurance. Um, I don't really have a problem flying for 10 hours, but it's also, I try to be, you know, as aggressive as I have to be to, to race cause you're racing the sun. But I also, try to make the smart, smart moves, be patient when I have to be patient and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, push when I have to push and, or or am able to push. So, you know, I fly with oxygen, even though I, you know, well, the highest I got was seven over 17,000 feet, but for the most part, I try to stay low and push, um, above 12,000 feet. You know, I noticed that day was pretty turbulent and, you know, the Owens, can can eat your lunch man so why spend time climbing up through that mess when you can just just drive and just make short climbs and drive and short climbs and so and then climb to the top when you have to make a crossing and so just try to be smart about it um you know and i actually changed my tactic this year and i think that was the reason for my success too is i uh in the previous years i had been told that you don't want to go off the ends of the whites in the north past uh, boundary peak just because there's no no good can come from that and um <laughs> so i would launch waltz and head 15.2 uh, miles south to Alantia, and that's where i would start my get my first turn point so then okay. with that amount of distance i could go north and uh just go to boundary peak as my turn point just dab into uh, Nevada for just because I thought it was amusing to, so I put my turn point in Nevada and turned around. But then coming back, you run into the Southerlies at the end of the day, and yeah, last year I was seven miles short after ten and a half hours in the air, and that was just a brutal decision to look at the numbers and see that I needed like 
18 to one to make goal and into a, a, a headwind and then to watch those numbers just go south and, and go, Oh, Oh oh no. And to make the decision, you know, I was heading across the Owens Valley dry lake and you know, the sun's set behind the Sierras and, and you know, I've got 20 minutes to go and, uh, yeah, just to pull the, pull it, you know, at the end, just going, no, it's, it's, I don't want to sit here all night for a long retrieve. Uh, and, and just make that decision was, was pretty tough, but the numbers weren't looking right. And I thought, well, I'll try again next year. And that's kind of, kind of it. So this year I, I just looked into the idea of starting at Waltz, tagging a point at 395 and then turning back around, go back to Waltz and climb up and go North and go off the end, go off the end mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, boundary peak and across uh to the other side and see what was there and i had never flown that area before but i studied it for hours on google earth and and just watch xc skies and see where the triggers likely were going to be and oh goodness it uh it couldn't have gone better you know i i got drilled going off the end and i thought this is why people don't do this <laughs> you know <laughs> Sustained 2,000 feet per minute down and going, shoot, I'm an idiot. And and yet, you know, you're doing that at the middle of the day. And so you're going, okay, well, there's got to be something. And sure enough, rewarded with a 700 up on the other side and just rode it and then got my turn point. And, you know, people were curious that, you know, you see my track log and you can find it online. Uh, you know, I didn't turn right around and head back to a boundary because the wind's through there can just blow you straight into Nevada and you're, and, True. and it's, bad. yeah, it's a real, real, real prominent Venturi through there. Absolutely. And it reminds me a lot of the Cajon pass and, uh, you know, at, at Crestline. So you go, okay, well, so I played, I played it West a bit and, uh, flew over Benton. And so I, you know, and I only lost a thousand feet coming back across to, to the whites, which, you know, I, 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 told Mike Meyer and Steve Pearson, you know, I, I, I made about three good decisions and three poor decisions. I got lucky three times and unlucky three times. And none of the things I, none of the bad things or poor choices I made, you know, cost me. Yeah. It really penalized me. And and the good choices made up for those enough that, that, uh, yeah, I, you know, I will say, yes, I did get lucky, but I also made some good choices too. And that was one of them to, to head back to play the wins and get back established, uh, pretty quickly on the whites and keep going. So I, I often think, you know, lucky, you know, we, we could say the same thing for Kriegel, you know, but there are pilots <laughs> that create their own, they create their, I mean, how can he get lucky that much? Right. 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 <laughs> so, so he's created, I mean, and it seems like with you, six years in a sense of trying this and planning it and then identify it I mean, to me, it's all identifying the day and you, right. how, how far out did you, were you looking at this day? Well, that, that's the cool thing is I, you know, obviously I've been studying, I, like I said, I studied the weather 20 days before, but I saw Friday the, the 19th on Tuesday and I went, oh, that's, that's the, day. that's the day I saw it that, that, you know, three or four days out. And I called, uh, uh, my buddy George Stebbins and, uh, said, Hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing on Friday? And, and he came back the next day and said, Oh yeah, I think, you know, 
and none of the days are ever perfect. You don't get a 10 out of a 10, but it was certainly an eight out of 10. And I thought that's all I need. And then the next day on Wednesday, I went, you know, often you see the day deteriorate or, or, you know, it's not what it used to be, but it held and it looked like it still could be good. And then on Thursday I said, it's a go. And so, yeah, I drove up Thursday night and was prepared bright and early Friday morning and, and even got, and were you by yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, George Stebbins joined me that day. He was just going to do a, a free flight. So, uh, but yeah, he okay. and I were the only pilots flying that day and, uh, yeah, but uh, man, where were the paragliders? Light and variable, you know, up to eighteen grand. It sounds perfect. Oh, I, I expected to see some. Now I I did launch early at nine forty one in the morning, um, and uh, oh. but sure, I, I it was certainly launchable for paraglider pilots. I thought somebody's going to bust something good today. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you that. So earlier this year, I think it was kind of early June, there was a couple really good days, but downwinders, they wouldn't have been out and backs. And I agree with you 100%. There's nothing sexier than landing where you took off. Right. Uh, that That's just, just fantastic. But are guys like you and your crew and this kind of, you know, let's call it a little mini renaissance or I, maybe, hopefully, I hope that's what's happening. Um, you know, the, those, they had two bad Revis and those guys had two back-to-back days where they were launching nine mile. And those of you listening, I realize we're throwing on the terms that if you don't know the Owens, it, that doesn't mean much to you, but the main launch is waltz. It's on the Sierra side. You typically fly from there up to kind of near Bishop and then you cross over to the whites, which is the next range to the East. Um, but nine mile is down further down South. So it's a, it can be a better start if you're just going one way, cause you can get a whole bunch of ground covered on the Sierra side. Then you cross, you get a bit more ground covered on the whites and then you keep going. Um, and so these guys are, you know, I think Ravis did, had a couple of days where kind of in the low 300 K your flight 368 K in light and variable in a, in an out and back, which is much harder work than just winging it off downwind. Um, are, are you, are you flying those? Are you thinking about big days where you can connect with like the Toya bees and just keep going? Absolutely. Yeah. So I've got my sights on that now. I, I mean, honestly, the out and back just has captured my imagination for years. And I, it's just, I think it's the second coolest hang gliding record you can get obviously behind the, the open distance. Um, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I just think there's sure. something just really cool about saying, no, I started and that's, and I, specifically, actually, to be clear, I, I did get two world records that day. It was the declared out and back. And then they gave me the open because it happened to be, uh, longer. My declared happened to be longer than the, the previous open. So oh, wow. that's pretty cool. sweet. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That is super sweet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, but yeah, just to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to take off here. I'm going to go to this specific spot, this 400 meter radius circle. I'm going to tag it and then come back to where I started. So, but you know, yeah, to your, to your point. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's still big miles to be had out there. And on a day where you can get off waltz or, or even nine mile for that matter. Yeah. I, I spend some time at night, mile, nine mile in the morning and go, yeah, this is launchable with, with a hang glider. I mean, it's a hike in obviously, but mm. y- if you started there, then you get to run all those miles north and then get to waltz pretty early too and just keep going. And uh, so, yeah, there's some 300 plus miles out there to be had easy. Well, not easy, but 
it's possible. Right. It's, it's, it's there. I like how Will Gad talks about the Sierras that it's just, it's one of the most complex environments you could possibly fly in. I, I think there are others, but there are not many places that are more complex when you, in terms of just the micro stuff you're dealing with. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You just get, it's a very rowdy place. It's a rowdy place and it changes. Uh, there's some, there's some patterns that show up that you can kind of anticipate, but you, you kind of go, okay, what, what elevation am I going to be flying? What time of day? So you just, XC skies is a tool that you, I mean, we just didn't have that back, back in the day. And so to be able to just see these trends, these, these patterns emerge, you know, uh, I, I think again, the Owens Valley is untapped. We're, we're missing out on some big flights happening there. And I, I can't wait to see uh, other people try it. And I think my plan is to just try to beat the record every year. Um, and I, I, I'm not done. I, I want to, it's, it's just pure joy for me out there. I, I just love it. Um, you know, I'm not too old. I'm 53 right now. And, uh, I've, I've got some adventures left in me. Yeah, you do. Let's let's transition temporarily here to I think you have maybe the most interesting job I've ever heard of. <laughs> tell, tell us how you make a living. You know, this is goofy. I as I mentioned, I I, I honestly I lead a charmed life. My my uh, my day job, I I work as a uh, <laughs> as a comedy juggler. So I work with another guy. We have a two-man comedy juggling team. We tour the world, primarily the States, uh, and doing, doing our show. And uh, my buddy John and I met in 86 uh, at a juggling convention and at the time just in college and going, hey, what are you doing after college? I don't know. What are you doing? Hey, let's throw a show together and uh, see if we can do that for a couple of years and then we'll go get our real jobs. Well, <clears throat> that was 32 years ago. And uh, within the first two years, we got on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson twice um, we were in the Adams family movie. If you saw that, there's a scene where Gomez yeah. and uncle Fester pull out these daggers and start throwing them back and forth. Um, that was us. We stunt doubled for Raul Julia. I was Gomez and John was Christopher Lloyd's part, uh, uncle Fester. Uh, shortly after that, we did a Royal command performance for Prince Charles. We've, uh, performed at the white house. Uh, recently we did a couple of runs on uh, America's got talent. Uh, a lot of, people might have seen us on that um yeah we just yeah just last week we were on penn and teller's fool us um so it's this crazy crazy gig we juggle chainsaws and stun guns and rat traps and you know ridiculous stuff uh the name of our show we're called the passing zone if you have a moment and want to be amused go to passingzone.com and see see all the ridiculous crap that we throw around and uh but it's a joy i i get to make people laugh for a living and uh, i just feel as silly as juggling is to throw things up in the air and try to catch them uh i'm bringing a small amount of joy into the world and that just feels great and have you guys been together 32 years that's, that's it a, yeah it's an incredible partnership you know, wow. it really is. I'm so proud of our partnership, uh, you know, 32 years together and, and still, and still enjoying it and, and, uh, appreciating every day. 
How much training goes into this job? You know, uh, a surprising amount. If you knew how many thousands are, of hours are behind every routine that you see us do, you just go, you guys are insane. So just we practice every day of the week, usually three to four hours a day. Uh, and a lot of that is, you know, honing our skills, uh, but it's also developing new skills and new routines. Um, we have this uh, warehouse space uh, between our homes. Uh, John is up in uh, Hermosa Beach, and I'm down in Tustin in Orange County. And uh, yeah, we have this spot, a warehouse space that we get together. It's our, we call it our clubhouse. <laughs> and uh, as you might imagine, with the current pandemic, um, there's not a lot of call for live entertainment. Um, so right. our lives have in a way been put on hold. Our next gig, let's, let's see, it's July now, uh, 2020. Um, our next gig isn't until February of 2021. So, Which is also probably still a maybe considering how things are going, right? Oh, for sure. I, I think that one's def a definite maybe. So we've had to pivot a bit. And so we've turned our warehouse space into a television studio effectively. it's it's uh, We're doing live stream shows, virtual shows from there. And our, our primary market is the uh, corporate events market. So, um, yeah, we uh, we stream out our show and we try to, you know, think of creative ways to get people involved. Um, you know, our, our show definitely is heavily uh, audience interactive. Um, so we figure out a way to uh, to. <laughs> to get a mannequin and get a, uh, an iPad that we hang on the mannequin space. And then we FaceTime somebody on the zoom call and get them to hold the, their phones right up to their face. And so all of a sudden now they're in our warehouse space and, you know, we can talk to them and interact with them and, and just tell them to hold really still. And, and, uh, they're really good at that. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a way to, uh, to connect with people and uh, try to break up their day. I mean, we're all just struggling with this and trying to figure out ways to continue doing what we do best. And, and, and uh, like I said, bring, bring a little joy. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, Johnny Carson and Penn and Teller and, playing for the queen what tell me about the is it is it more stressful how, how have you guys learned how to deal with that in terms of the pressure well sure you know I, people ask me okay do you get nervous before the show and i just say well yeah every show <laughs> i you know and there's nothing worse than being nervous and juggling i mean your skill level especially doing live tv goodness doing america's got talent with you know 14 million people watching you if you drop a chainsaw you know there's no recovering from that i mean there's <laughs> so that's when you have to be really good at comedy exactly well that's the thing you know you you after years of working together with john uh we've just figured out ways to to joke about it and and make light of it and um but yeah nervousness to me just means i care i, I want every show to be as good as it can possibly be and and so but once you get going and the audience starts reacting and appreciating what you do and laughing those go away and we feed off of that energy and we give it right back and it's just it's just awesome and it's it's interesting because there's a, this interesting parallel i think between hang gliding uh paragliding as well and and uh and juggling and that is i think they're both really misunderstood you know 
if your listeners are going to go, okay, he's a professional juggler. They imagine me in big floppy shoes and a red nose and a circus, you know, that right. sort of thing. But it's, it's not at all that. I mean, we, we kind of model ourselves a little bit off of like a pen and teller, um, you know, magicians who wear suits on stage and, and are, you know, very comedic based and stuff. But, you know, in the hang gliding world, you know, you tell people you're a hang glider pilot or a paradigm pilot and they just go, oh, you're, you've got a death wish. You know, uh, you jump off a cliff and you, you fly down and they don't understand the beauty and the intricacies of the sport. And I just feel this need, this like almost a PSA to say, no, no, here's what it is. You need to understand that we're finding thermals. We're staying in the air for hours. We're launching and landing often when and where we want to and it's uh, it's a much different sport than it was in the 70s and it was for that reason that i really wanted to do something to reach out to the public and my my airport is um i fly out all the time is john wayne airport in orange county here and so in uh 2000 and geez i think it was 2008 i created a, a hang gliding exhibit there um, and it actually is still there today. So if you go to the airport and look up, there are four hang gliders hanging from the ceiling above the baggage claims there. And it's a way of showing people because the, the preconception of what a hang glider looks like, it's the seventies, you know, yeah. bamboo, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, kind of a, kind of a kite. ish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this, you know, things strung together with duct tape, and, you know, whatever. So to see these carbon, fiber, sexy wings that just look astonishing and just the new fabrics that, uh, you know, manufacturers are using now. I think it's just a way to show that, Hey, this is a sport that's matured and it is mm. a real thing now. And, uh, so I, I'm proud that that's still out there as a way to share the sport, even subconsciously with, with the public in general, as a way of telling them, Hey, we're not what we used to be. Um, this is something that you should look into if it interests you. Do you think that your juggling career and all the training you've done, has that impacted how you fly, how you approach flying, how, how you train? Yeah. You know, most definitely. I, I am a huge believer. I, I mean, I just see it every day, what practice can do and prepared practice can do. You know, I spend hours working on juggling tricks that some of them just for me, you know, things that will never be the show because they're just too, too damn hard, but yeah. just focus practice and, and you get better and you try different things and you, you experiment and you, so I, I definitely think there's a, a, a nice crossover of skill sets uh, between hang gliding and juggling and, and the, the way I look at it. You also look like a really fit person. Is that, is that, um, do you, do you feel like that plays a part in your ability to fly 10 hours and be cool? Yeah. Well, there's, there's one, I, I tell people all the time, you don't often see an overweight juggler and that's primarily because they can't afford to eat. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you put that in the yeah, show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my favorite one is uh, what's the difference between a large pizza and a, and a juggler? That's just uh, a large pizza can feed a family of four. 
Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, there's obviously a physical aspect to juggling and I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very active, uh, thing. And I think that has helped my ability to stay fit and, and certainly the endurance of that has transitioned nicely over to, uh, being able to stay in the air for 10 hours. I, I, you know, at the end I was fresh. I was, you know, and had I been short again on the 19th, the 20th looked like it was flyable and I was just going, okay, if I'm short, I'm going again hmm. tomorrow. I'll be back <laughs> at it. And, uh, so yeah, I, yeah, that's, if I have a skill set, you know, I am, I hang out with zippy. I hang out with, you know, some, you know, Johnny Duran, some of the best pilots in the world. And, uh, you know, they are, they are amazing at what they do. So if I have a skill set, I, mean, I think it's uh, staying in the air for a long time and and being all right with it. Um, so being patient, being patient and just, yeah, I'm not flying super fast. I'm just out there to beat the sun, not beat another pilot. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and just try to be smart. You know what? I maybe lack in skills. I try to make up, uh, you know, I'm flying with oxygen. So I'm thinking clearly the whole time. And uh you know, there's a lot of pilots who go, oh, you don't need oxygen. You're not going to be that high for that long. But just that little edge to go, okay, I'm, I'm thinking clearly. That's super important. Yeah. I mean, that's that the cowboy side of no oxygen, I think has been long left behind, which is a good thing. I, yeah, we just, we know now what, that our brains don't function all that well when we're tall. So and any little advantage we can get is a good thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I support that theory for sure. Yeah. What, um, how has flying changed your life? You know, it, it's, uh, you've been at this a while. I've been at this a while. Right. And it just, I think the community is, uh, is just fabulous. I really seem to connect with pilots. You know, I, it may surprise many people, you know, you'll see me on stage and you go, Oh my gosh, look how funny he is. Or look how, relax. I am an introvert. I'm honestly just a, uh, a person who recharges when I'm by myself and, um, and hang gliding has, has, um, allowed me to do it. Now I, I really enjoy being social. I love the community, the juggling community and the hang gliding community. I, I thrive on, on that, but then I, I find I can only do that for a while, but there, it's just a beautiful gathering of people and and personalities and i i just i consider my hang gliding you know group to be to be my the people i choose to be with and and i enjoy it very much so yeah it's just it's shaped so many of my um my desires my my passions my dreams things i want to achieve and uh it just provides me an outlet that that uh brings me peace and yeah it's in the sky is where i want to be <laughs> is that is that is it been like that from the beginning have you had any kind of uh ups and downs or is if you I mean, you sound like you're uber passionate about it now has it been like that kind of through your flying career you know i think it really has been you know in the beginning i i didn't have the ability financially to to pursue it as much as I wanted to. John and I were just getting started in our careers together. You know, we were on the road 
quite a bit in those beginning years. So I didn't have that opportunity. But then the fact that performing sort of transitioned to more out and backs where I'd go to Vegas and then come back for three days and head to Orlando and then back for two days. And so I'd had had more the long outs, you know, doing two weeks on the road or three weeks on a cruise ship or something and tours that, that had me away from home seemed to sort of transition into one nighters and uh that that changed things for me too and the and then it became a little bit more lucrative when we were getting into the corporate market so that allowed me to have the financial freedom to to go explore hang gliding some more and um you know i I think i just love everything about i hear people just talk about oh you know it takes me so long to set up my wing and so long to pack it up and head up the hill and do this and that. And I think I love putting my wing up on my car. I love unzipping that bag every time and creating this magical thing that comes out of this tube that I just, I'm creating just this, this little, my personal rocket ship that's carbon fiber and sexy and, and then flying it around for three, four five hours and landing. And then I just, I love taking it apart and putting it back in its bag. And I just, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's just seems, you know, and not to get too existential. It's all ridiculous and magical. Isn't it? It, it really is. Ridiculous. You know, yeah. we've been looking for 200,000 years. Man has been looking up in the air and wishing they could be a bird, wishing we could fly and soar. And it hasn't been until the last 50 years that that was even an option. So right. it's just, we are living in the future and it is a magical time to be alive. And I feel like I owe it to all of those humans, 200,000 years of humans to do this because they didn't get a chance <laughs> to. And I nice. do. And I just, I want to celebrate that and do that for them. And, and, you know, I know that sounds cheesy, but I do, I honestly feel that way. It's, we are lucky. We are leading charmed lives to be able to do this. And, I feel an obligation to educate people to allow them to know that this is a possibility simply because I don't believe they understand it. So if they don't know what a thermal is and that a thermal every day the sun's out is out there to carry us up and that's hard to wrap your mind around when you don't see it. So these track logs that we post, these, you know, your social media, the things you're doing, Gavin, I mean, you are, you are changing the world one podcast at a time. And honestly, I, I, I truly believe this to share this joy with as many people as possible. Now, it's not for everyone. Now, don't get wrong. Sure. I don't say everyone should do this, but those who do should at least know about it. Right. Yeah. We were having this discussion on the very long drive to Texas or coming back. I can't remember which one, but it's interesting. You know, I, I live in a place, I live in Sun Valley in Idaho, which is just filled with a valley of go-getters, like outdoor enthusiasts, you know, backcountry skiers and kayakers and, you know, hiking and fly fishing. And, you know, these are people that really get after it and they live there because they want to be outside. And they all know, I mean, I've lots of these people are very, my very good friends and they know what I do and they don't want to do it. It's really interesting. Isn't you know, it fascinating? Just, how can you not want to do this? Right, right. <laughs> and again, I, uh, that, that baffles me because it is so glorious. Uh, I have become friends with Penn Gillette of, of Penn and Teller and, and yeah. he has been, he had been talking for years about wanting to fly with me. 
And I said, dude, you, you need to do it. And he weighed 332 pounds a few years back. Um, he lost a hundred pounds. So he got down to 232 and he's still around there today. So a couple years ago, I took him with me and we did a tandem flight together and he just dug it. He's done a whole podcast on it and it was, I had him do a little magic trick up there, pull out a card (laughs) and and, uh, we had a drone following us. So there's some great footage of that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things for people who want to do it. I love that we can make it accessible to them, Uh, but you're right. For some people, it's just not their thing. And I, I get it. You know, it's not, not for everyone. And I don't, you know, they don't need to, to do it because I think, you know, it's awesome. But, uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, so you have the declared record and the out and back record. And then right before we started recording, you've got like six other world records. <laughs> you've got more world records than anybody, man. So no, are these no. all in, in jog, joggling? What is it called? Yeah. So, okay. This is about as ridiculous as it can get. There's something, <laughs> there is a sport out there called joggling and it's spelled J O G G L I N G. So do <laughs> amuse yourself and type in joggling into a Google search and you're going to see a picture of me joggling with five balls that was actually uh, in the front page of the uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Um, it's it's a, as, as it might, it's juggling and running or jogging uh, at the same time. So I have the world record for uh, 100 meters, five ball juggling um, and three... Uh, three ball juggling, um, for a hundred meters. Now this is, this is a fun story. I was, uh, lucky enough to do a show with uh, Usain Bolt last year. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was cool. We were doing a gig in uh, Mexico city and he was on the same bill and I approached him afterwards and I said, Hey man, um, good to meet you. We have something in common. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, what's that? And I said, well, we both hold the world record for a hundred meters. <laughs> what you talking about, man? And I, so i go <laughs> come on let's go man toe to toe bud i said you know i uh I, have, I hold the world record for running 100 meters and juggling at the same time and he goes no how fast you do it i go how fast do you think i did he goes oh i don't know uh 15 seconds i go 11 six he goes no man you you did it in eleven point six seconds. Yeah, eleven six. So I used to be on the dude. I know it it doesn't slow you down too much. Uh, so I used to be uh, a decathlete in college, and so I was a runner before a juggler or, or a pilot. So it's, holy cow! Is there a video of this? I got to see the video of this. Yeah, it's it's on. You know, do a search. You do a YouTube search, and you'll find some crazy tv I thought you shows were gonna say like 25 or something that is re- you're fast man. <laughs> so, and then with five balls it's like 13 eight something like that so it's uh, oh my god yeah, what? It's, that's it's, crazy yeah, it's crazy so that's those are i mean that that's another example of the like the most ridiculous world record one can have is in a sport called juggling now there was another uh i also happen to hold the world record for uh chainsaw juggling most catches with another person and uh, the most the record I'm most proud of that we no longer have, but we uh, John and I set the world record for uh, club passing back in '93. Uh, we were the first humans to pass 11 clubs back and forth. So those are the bowling pin shaped things. 
Um, so we, uh, there's some Russians that had the record for many years and, uh, at 10, and we were the first to achieve, uh, 11 club passing between two people. And that, that held for about a decade, maybe a little longer. And then, uh, some more Russians came and took that from us. So. What, what kind of training would you have to do to get it back? Like uh, how, how many hours went into that 93 record? Oh, again, thousands of thousands. hours. Yeah. When you just think of, you know, all the prep and all the training and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so there are not enough hours uh, left in my life to allow me to beat to get it back. To get it back, yeah. We're noticing at our age that our reflexes aren't what they used to be, and uh, um, for technical reasons, I, I won't go into the details of it. But there's a new method for passing clubs that uh, um, that will bore your listeners. Um, but just say it's it's a little bit like if John and I are playing tennis with wood rackets, and everybody else is playing with the okay. So, <laughs> gotcha. And, and I know this is a flying show, but this is just so fascinating. Are they, so I used to run, or used to run chainsaw on a hotshot crew. Are you, are you throwing real chainsaws? So that's the deal. Um, full disclosure. Yes, we are throwing real chainsaws. Now I have ground down the teeth on the chains. Yeah. That's the other thing I run them, uh, idle idled up. So those chains are spinning as we're juggling them. Uh, so there's fuel in them and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, awful, and they're loud, and they're, um, yeah, they're the worst. But it's what people want to see, and <laughs> so we're there to give it to them. Carnage. Yeah. Oh, we love our carnage. That must have been after a particularly bad night of drinking that you guys came up with that idea. Well, the funny thing is, it's the audience. You know, you can't help. You get hecklers. Oh, juggle chainsaws, and you're like, oh, good grief. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's one of those things where after a while you just go, that's what they want. That's, and so you go, okay, well, how do we do this in a way that's actually worthwhile? So John and I try to find the funny in everything we do on stage. And one of the things we thought was, what about the juxtaposition between the idea of these manly, mean, awful chainsaws and ballet? <laughs> so we got ourselves some purple tights and oh my God. some Husqvarna's and we started working on a piece called the Chainsaw Ballet. So oh my we God. juggle chainsaws and dance around the stage and throw these roaring things back and forth as we're dancing around and prancing and being goofy. So it's hilarious and dangerous and ridiculous. And it's my job. <laughs> What an awesome job. Do you come up with, so, you know, especially during the, this whole, you know, coronavirus situation, it was, I, I don't come up with very good ideas unless I'm out doing stuff. You know, so I, I do a lot of writing and, you know, if I get what, I, you know, my version of a writer's block or something, you, you usually a bike ride or a walk or something will, will help that. Where do your ideas come from? Are they, do, do you get them from when you're flying? Do you get them when... How, how do you guys keep creative after 32 years? You know, that's a, that's a very good question. And that ends up being sort of the most important part of our job is coming up with new things. And we're inspired by so many different areas. One of the nice things about flying is I don't think about juggling while I'm flying. I don't mm. do anything but flying. So that it becomes a nice escape for me. But, you know, John and I sit, that's perhaps the most important part of us getting together every day is the part of our practice where we're not throwing things back and forth, but we're just talking 
we have a section mm-hmm. in our warehouse space where we sit and we talk about what we saw on YouTube that day or what we saw, you know, what's in the news, what, how to be topical, how, how do we change, you know, because juggling, honestly, by itself, I mean, like I said, we have world records in juggling because we're, you know, we spent so much time trying to be the best in the world at it. But nobody cares. Nobody cares whether we're juggling seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 clubs back and forth. It just doesn't matter. What they want is a connection with us and our show and our senses of humor. And they want an insight into who we are as people and what we are as a team and how that works. And so, you know, uh, recently we, we sometimes just try to combine goofy skills. Like I've learned how to throw knives. Um, and John's learned how to juggle upside down. And so we created this piece recently where he's <laughs> all right, this guy's out. Just follow me here. Uh, take, take a moment. Uh, so John juggles upside down on a swinging pendulum back and forth. So he's hanging by his ankles with gravity boots, swinging back and forth. I stand uh, on one side of him as he's swinging back and forth in front of me with the target on the other side of him. So as so you're hucking knives across his plane. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I'm blindfolded. So he's got to tell me oh my God. to throw. What? Yeah. And so we thought, well, this is cool, but it's not audience participation. So we thought, Hey, let's get somebody from the audience and join him on the pendulum. So now we get a female volunteer that stands next to him swinging back and forth. So she's going through the path of the knives. We thought, okay, he'll tell me, and I've got a target with a balloon on it on the other side of both of them. And so <laughs> he'll tell me when to throw in order to save his own life. And we tell her, you tell me where to throw in order to pop that balloon. And uh, then that <laughs> balloon happens to be attached to a trigger mechanism that launches a pie into another volunteer's face. So, <laughs> so this is this ridiculous. So clearly we have a lot of free time on our hands i think that's what we're (laughs) discovering here uh so you know if i could pop it with an eighth throw so i you know he gets swinging he's going now and i throw a knife and she's like higher and then now so back and forth and finally uh pop the balloon and the pie gets launched in the face and and we're all happy it all ends well what an awesome job you guys just get to sit around and fart around all day and have fun that is it i get to go i realize it's not farting around you're obviously training but it's just what a great i mean and creative it's it is an amazing thing in a beautiful country where one can make a living as a professional juggler and get away with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you guys are winning for sure you're winning okay I just to, because it is a flying show, I'll bring it back with just one one question, and then I just I really appreciate your time. This has been a blast. Um, if you could, I, you've heard the show, you've heard me ask this a million times. If you could rewind the clock, sounds like to maybe ninety, maybe ninety three, because you learned in ninety, did a tandem, but you know, kind of think back to your fifty hour self. What would you change? What what advice would you wish you have gotten? Or anything anything you would have done differently? You know, I. I just have to thank those who who brought this sport into my life. Joe Greblo, Andy Beam, Rob McKenzie, those instructors, they they have changed my life, honestly. And I, I have appreciated hang gliding from every step of the way, from those very first flights that where you're just getting a foot off the ground for 10 feet 
how magical is that? I mean, honestly, mm. uh, I have, it, it was, it's been a slow progression. Maybe I would have chosen to try to figure out a way to do it faster, but you know what? I, I've appreciated the journey the whole way. And, and honestly, like I said, I'm leading a charmed life and I just want to share that with, give hopefully give that to people who haven't discovered it yet so so they can do the same if that if that appeals to them well it sounds like you've got a lot of gratitude and For that's sure. about the most important thing there is so keep keep entertaining this is uh just what a, what a fun talk and congratulations on this amazing flight and achievement and like and hopefully that's just the the first of many and can't wait to share some some sky with you oh, soon. Man. So that would be that would be great. I'm sure our paths will cross if they haven't already. We were thinking that they maybe had out in Marshall someday, but another X Alps is coming up next year. So I'll be out in your neck of the woods training this this winter. And but uh, all the best to you, Owen, and thank you so much for for sharing this this crazy uh, these crazy years of yours with us, <laughs> Gavin. Thank you so much, brother. I, I, again, I'm honored to be with you today and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It, it's really needed and appreciated and, uh, cheers. Cheers, bud. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show Thank you.